that um, video was made before uh, the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan. And so the needs there are even greater now than they were when that video was made. I think I'd like to just pause and pray for Afghanistan. Would you pray with me? Our great God, Lord of the nations, we pray for the people of Afghanistan. We pray that you would do in Afghanistan what you did in China in 1948 when all the missionaries were expelled and we all despaired that the church would die and instead it has grown tremendously over this period of time and we pray that you would do the same in Afghanistan, that the church would grow and expand that the blood of the martyr would be the seed of the church and that you would have your way in that needy part of our world. And if you would so choose, I pray that you would raise up people in from in this room to take the message of Jesus to that part of the world. Bless your word as we look at it tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. It's good to be back in Kansas where you can go 75 on the interstate. And it's good to be back at um, 12th Avenue Baptist Church. This is the third time I have been here. And I want to thank you as a congregation for all you are doing for world missions around the world. Now, a little bit more about myself. I am 76 and a half years old. When you're real little, you count by halves, and when you get real old, you count by halves. Um, I have been happily married for 52 years to my wife, Annette, who is praying for all of us in this room right now. She's not with me. She's back in South Carolina where we live. We have four children, they're all married and have blessed us with nine grandchildren, eight boys and one girl. She's the princess. As a family, we lived in the country of Italy, Southern Europe for 13 years. Anybody here speak Italian? Would you like to hear just a little bit? Okay, these are three verses from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 11, 12, and 13. E venuto in casa sua, ma i suoi non l'hanno ricevuto. Ma tutti quegli che l'hanno ricevuto, egli ha dato il diritto di diventare filuoli di Dio a quelli cioè che credono nel suo nome, i quali non sono nati da sangue, né da volontà di carne, né da volontà d'uomo, ma sono nati da Dio. Now that was 
John chapter 1, verse 11, 12, and 13. Uh, if you were Italian and you were here tonight and you heard that, you would have understood every word because the vocabulary was perfect and the grammar was perfect. But if you were an Italian and you heard me say that, you'd have said, where did this guy come from? That is not the way Italians speak Italian. So now I'm going to give you the same three verses the way an Italian would say it. Are you ready? È venuto in casa sua, ma i suoi non l'hanno ricevuto. Ma tutti quelli che l'hanno ricevuto, egli ha dato il diritto di diventare figlioli di Dio. A quelli, cioè, che credono nel suo nome. I qua non sono nati da sangue, né da volontà di carne, né da volontà d'uomo, ma sono nati da Dio. Now, did you hear a difference? Yeah. You see, if you speak three languages, you're trilingual. And if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. And if you speak one language, you're an American. Yeah. But if God calls you to serve him in another part of the world where learning a foreign language is part of the package, he will enable you to do that because I'm an American. And it's difficult for Americans to learn other languages. And yet God gave my wife and me the language, and we had the privilege of serving there for 13 years. My wife and I have had both doses of the Pfizer vaccine plus the Pfizer booster. Um, this is my first public ministry since COVID shut everything down two years ago. And because I know and trust the Lord, I'm not fearful to travel and be around people, but I am careful. I'm not fearful, but I am careful. And I think that's a good stance for all of us to take if we're people of faith. Most importantly, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved me by his grace, and I want the whole world to know about him. So I'm going to pray again. Let's pray. Our great God, we pray that you will rejuvenate our hearts and minds with a new vision and passion to reach the nations of the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Help me as I open your word right now and help all my brothers and sisters here to hear what you want to say to us tonight, to believe your word and to obey your word. And I pray these things with confidence because we pray them all in the name of Jesus. Amen. The title for our Bible message tonight is Open Your Eyes and Look at the Fields. And if you have a Bible and can turn to John chapter 4, that would be great. Um, we're going to look there, but uh, just before we look at John 4, I have good news and bad news for you tonight. First of all, the good news. The good news is that the percentage of people living in the entire world who claim to be personal followers of Jesus Christ has grown from 3% of the total world population to over 12% of the total world population in my lifetime. 
1945, the year that I was born, there were 80 million true followers of Jesus Christ in the entire world. Today, in the year 2021, there are 950 million true followers of Jesus Christ. That's a growth of 3% to over 12% of the total world population in my lifetime. That is good news. More people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ right now than any other time in the history of the world. Praise the Lord. That's the good news. Now the bad news. As we sit here tonight, nine out of every ten people living in the world right now are spiritually lost and outside of faith in Jesus Christ on their way to a Christless eternity in hell. Nine out of every ten people. You say, wait a minute, you just told us there were 950 million believers. That's right, but there are 7.9 billion people in the world. And if you do the math, that means one out of ten knows the Lord, nine out of ten do not. And you passed some of those people on your way to this church here tonight. Two out of every three people living in the world not only are spiritually lost, but they have never once heard a clear explanation of the gospel. No one has ever told them how they can be saved through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Two out of every three people. And you pass some of them on your way here tonight. In fact, some of them live in your neighborhoods, live on your street. They may even know you're here in this church tonight. They may admire you for the way you live, for the way you go to church, for the way you're active in the Lord's work. But you've never told them why. Two out of every three have never heard a clear explanation of the gospel. And one out of every three people living in the world today not only is spiritually lost, not only has never once heard the gospel, but one out of every three, did I say two out of three? One out of every three people living in the world today has no one living near them who can tell them about Jesus even if they want to hear. That's 2.6 billion people who are living, watch, who are living on the other side of the border. They're living on the other side of the border of gospel awareness. These people not only don't believe in Jesus, they don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. That's why this church has a missions conference. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. He has never rescinded that command. It's not something we might do. It's something we must do. It's not an option. It's an obligation. And that's why this church has a missions conference every year. Now with those things in mind, I want us to look at John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Remembering that this is the holy word of God. John 4, 1, 
You follow while I read. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, because of time, I'm going to skip some verses here, but we know how the conversation goes. This is a very familiar passage. And so she asked him about this living water, and then he tells her about it, and then he says for her to go call her husband, remember that? And she says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, because you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Remember this? And then, and then she changes the subject quickly from morality to religion. And she starts talking about whose temple is right, the Samaritan's temple on Mount Gerizim or the, the Jews' temple on Mount Zion. And then Jesus says, look, it's not a place, it's a person. It's God himself. You can know him. And then we come down to verse 25, okay? Let's just pick it up there. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain, explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. It's me. It's me. That's what Jesus told her. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Or as it says in the King James Version of the Bible, is not this the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now we'll stop there just for a minute. I love this story. I never get tired of reading this story. When you look at the verses that we read, including the verses that we skipped over, you see something is very wonderful. By the way, it was no easier to talk to people about Jesus then than it is now. And it was no easier to talk to people about Jesus there than it is here. And this is a wonderful story, but if you look more closely at this story, you discover that something is very wrong. Something very wonderful, something very wrong. And we see that in the following verses that we haven't read yet. 
So follow with me, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We'll end our scripture reading there. When you look at John chapter 4, you see something's very wonderful. But when you look again at John chapter 4, you discover that something's very wrong. When you look at Jesus, it's wonderful. But when you look at the disciples of Jesus, something is wrong. And this is what I want us to talk about for a few minutes tonight. What I want us to do is to look into the word of God and see ourselves in the mirror of God's word as reflected in the lives of his disciples. And let's just remind ourselves who the disciples were, all right? The disciples, first of all, were a group of individuals who knew the Lord. They knew the Lord. And I would assume that most people in this room tonight would make that same claim. You know the Lord. Secondly, they were a group of individuals who were walking with the Lord. And I would hope that everybody here tonight is, you know, seeking to walk with the Lord daily. It's good. And then thirdly, not only did they know the Lord and were they walking with the Lord, but they were actively involved in the service of the Lord. They were actually doing things from the Lord, using their gifts and serving the Lord. And even though all three of these things are true, something was wrong. And what I want to do tonight is give you six words. If you're taking notes, I love it when people take notes when I'm talking, because I know they're going to remember more later. But if you're taking notes or if you're, you know, you've just got a really great mind that can remember things, I want you to take away six words tonight. Six words. And, and, and these words are going to be pegs on which we're going to hang some biblical truth, all right? So the first word I'd like you to write down is the word value. V-A-L-U-E. And I'd like to suggest to you that, dis that the disciples of Jesus have lost a proper sense of value. And we see that in verses 31 to 33. Look at these words on the screen. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And every time I read the next verse, I always chuckle to myself. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They had no idea what he was talking about. Why? 
because they'd lost a proper sense of value. Write the word down, value. That's our first word. Now, with all due respect to the late octogenarian Clara Peller, anybody remember who she was? She, made, she became very well-known and very well-paid by making one simple statement from one of our country's leading hamburger chains, Wendy's. She's the lady who said, where's the beef? But with all due respect to her, she's not the per first person who ever said that. It was the disciple. <laughs> what? Did somebody bring him something to eat while we were gone? Where's the beef? They've completely missed the point. Now watch. The disciples had their minds on the material... Jesus had his mind on the spiritual. Jesus was interested in this woman's soul. The disciples were interested in eating a sandwich. Master, eat. Oh, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. What? Did somebody bring him some food while we're gone? See, they're thinking about material things. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to think about material things? Are material things wrong in themselves? No. But now watch. In the value system of God, watch, spiritual things are always more important than material things. Did you hear me? Spiritual things are always more important than material things. We lived overseas as a missionary family for 13 years, back in the early 1970s when we went. And I can remember the first night we were back in the United States after having lived abroad for several years. As my head hit the pillow that night, I said to myself, well, we're back in America, where want has become need, where luxury has become necessity, where privilege has become entitlement, where optional features have become standard equipment, and where even if you don't need something, you can always justify getting it by waiting until it goes on sale. So the question we need to ask ourselves tonight, us here in this room, is this. What is really important to me? Really. I was the director of the Evangelical Alliance mission for six years. We had 1,200 missionaries in 42 different countries on every continent. And one of our missionaries was a couple by the name of Rich and Carol who were serving in a cannibalistic tribe 
in Irian Jaya, now known as Papua, in the most southeastern portion of Indonesia. And while they were there, Carol contracted a very serious tropical disease. And they were compelled to come back to North America for proper medical treatment. It took a year. And while they were home for that year, because Rich is a very good speaker, we asked him to travel for our organization and challenge churches with the need to raise up more workers to take people to areas like where they were serving. Now, I, I need to tell you a little professional, um, I guess you'd call it a secret. Um, I like to pray before I preach. So I've been praying today. But then, often after I preach, I want to go pray again. And I don't really want to talk to anybody. Now, don't... I'll talk to you, but... I mean, I just... I just, I just kind of, sometimes when I'm so overwhelmed with the truth of God's word that we've just studied, I just want to go off and pray again. And so Rich, um, our missionary, had, was speaking in a church for a weekend conference just like this, and um, he was staying in the home of one of the elders of the church, and um, one night he just poured his heart out especially for the need for people to take the gospel to people who are still waiting to hear it for the first time. And after the meeting was over, he was just kind of hoping he could just, you know, be by himself with the Lord. And, but he was staying, you know, in the home of these, uh, this couple, the elder and his wife. And, and um, so they were driving back to the house after the service, and Rich was in the back seat, and the elder and his wife were in the front seat. And and the elder said, hey, Rich, he said, while you're down at the church this afternoon studying for the message tonight, my wife and I went out and, and, and got a surprise, and, 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 and when we get to the house, we want you to just stay in the car, and we're going to go inside and, 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 and get it ready, and then when we tell you, you can come in. So Rich stayed in the car and saw the lights of the house come on, and then the front door opened, and the wife beckoned for him to come in, and so he left the house down the sidewalk into the front door, walked down the hall, turned left into the living room, and then there on the right-hand wall of the living room was the surprise. It was a brand-new wooden console entertainment system. And right in the middle was a large color television. And it was on. And the elder said, uh, what do you think? And Rich said, wow, it's beautiful. And right then the elder said, you know what? It's just, it's just about time for the evening news. Why don't we sit down and watch the news together? Well, I already told you what Rich was kind of hoping he could do. He wanted to just kind of slip off and be alone in his own bedroom, but he didn't want to offend his host, so he said, okay. And so they had two armchairs there, and the elder sat, sat in one, and Rich sat in the other. And on the news was a live report from Vietnam, because it was at the time of the Vietnam conflict. And, a, and an American 
reporter, photographer, was flying in a reconnaissance plane and he was photographing an American bomber. And as they sat there watching the screen, all of a sudden he locked in on the underside of that bomber, the big doors opened up and the tons of explosives fell from the plane down, down, down. He followed them with his expert lens until they hit their target. They hit pay dirt and buildings and animals and people were blown to smithereens. And as Rich sat there watching this on the television, the elder from the church in the next chair leaned forward, eyes big as saucers, and said this, look at that beautiful color. What's wrong with that man? He's lost a proper sense of value. People being blasted into eternity. And he's more impressed with the color of his new television. What's important to you? Have you lost a proper sense of value? Let's go to the second word. The disciples lost a proper sense of value and they lost a proper sense of mission. M-I-S-S-I-O-N, write it down. Not missions in the sense that we talk about it at a conference like this, but mission in the sense of purpose, reason for being. And we see that in verse 34. Look at verse 34. You'll see the words on the screen. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now when Jesus is speaking here, he's not speaking literally, he's speaking figuratively. And so I'd like to change the word food to get at what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this, my mission, my food, my mission, my sustenance, the thing that keeps me going is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now watch. Jesus always had a sense of mission. He knew why he was here. That's why he said what he said, did what he did, went where he went every moment of every day. The disciples, at least on this occasion, had lost a proper sense of mission. So look at the word on the screen, mission, mission. I have been in 83 different countries. I have flown on hundreds of planes. I love MAF, by the way. And I love Wickliffe Bible Translators, by the way. What great reports. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I have learned that if you get on a commercial airplane, you will probably end up sitting next to someone you've never seen before. And I have learned that if you don't speak to that person within one to two minutes of sitting down, the chances are that you will not talk the entire flight. So the minute I sit down, I start to talk. It's a little harder now with COVID. Masks and now people are wearing earplugs and they're listening to whatever. And this is what I always say to my seat partner. And you try this sometimes. 
I say, are you going home or leaving home? That's an innocent question. And so they start talking about home, and home is always usually a warm, fuzzy subject. And after we talk about that, where they're from and where they're going, then I say, now watch, I say this. What do you do? Now watch. If you ask your seat partner on public transportation that question, underlining the word you verbally when you ask it, what do you do inevitably after they tell you their vocation? They'll look at you and say, what do you do? And I'll say to them, well, I'm the retired president of a small Christian university. We have 2,000 students all studying the Bible, God's holy word, preparing to take the message of Jesus' love and forgiveness to the whole world. That starts some interesting conversation. And then when we get talking, I always talk to my seat partner about three things. Now, I don't use these words, but this is what I talk to him about. Origins, purpose, and destiny. Origins, where do we come from? Purpose, why are we here? Destiny, where are we going? I mean, if anybody has the answer to those questions, it's a Bible-believing Christian, right? Good things to talk to non-Christian people about. But we, as believers, need to ask ourselves that second question. Purpose. Why are we here? Why? Why are we here in this world right now, at our age, at this location, in this year, 2021? Why? Why are you here? Why am I here? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more homesick I am for heaven. Anybody agree with that? I don't know about you, but I just want to go to heaven. I am tired of living in the downward-dragging spiritual gravity of a sin-filled world. I want to be with the Lord. There's no COVID there. There's no sin there. And it's right to want that. But if you read the Bible carefully, you'll discover that not only do we want to be with the Lord... The Lord wants us to be with him. In fact, the imagery that's used in Scripture about us, his people, and, and him, our Savior and Lord, is that we are the bridegroom, a bride, and he's the bridegroom. We're the bride, and he's the bridegroom. Now, do you know anything about brides and bridegrooms? One of the greatest characteristics of brides and bridegrooms is they want to get together, right? Right? Now, when I was a student at Columbia Bible College, which is now Columbia International University, we had a rule. We've changed the rule now, and as I've gotten older, I really think the old rule was better, uh, although I didn't like it at the time. And the, the rule was that if you were a student at Columbia Bible College and you got engaged to be married during a school year, you had to wait until that school year was over before you could marry. You wouldn't believe all the weddings that took place on graduation day. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. Now watch. I want to be with the Lord. He wants me there even more than I want to be there. So if that's the case, why has he left me here? Answer, there's a mission to be fulfilled. 
Now, when we went to the country of Italy, we went to a city. Do you know why we went to a city? Because that's where people are. And in the city, we lived in a high-rise apartment building. I'd never lived in a high-rise apartment building before. Do you know why we lived in a high-rise apartment building? Because that's where people are. There were 30 families in that building, and that was one of, I can't tell you how many buildings were surrounding it. All the same kind of building, all the same apartments. We lived on the fifth floor. We could hear every time our neighbors flushed their toilet. We could smell every time they lit up the smoke. I worried sick that our two little girls at that time were going to fall off the balcony. Had to teach them how to play soccer in the parking lot. You know, bank the falls off the cars. <laughs> and then we were asked by the board of directors of that mission agency after 13 years to become the new president of the mission and to relocate to North America and direct our 330 missionaries in 14 countries of Europe. And that was not an easy decision, but after our home church said yes, after our missionary team said yes, after the national believers said yes, we said yes, we came back, and I will confess to you that as we were getting ready to come back, I started dreaming about where we were going to live in America. I mean, you know, maybe we'll have a single family dwelling. Maybe, maybe I'll have to buy a lawnmower. Maybe we'll have a garage that the car can go inside it. And so we came back, and we were living in the mission headquarters, mom, dad, four kids, and uh, I went out looking for housing, and uh, we didn't have the wherewithal to buy anything, so we had to rent, and that was hard, you know, because most rentals in the Pennsylvania area where we were said, no, no animals, no children. <laughs> we had four. Anyway, we were out looking, and um, I found the perfect house. It was, um, had four bedrooms, a two-car attached garage, a living room, a family room, a laundry room, our own washer and dryer, a beautifully manicured lawn, well-cared-for shrubs, a woods behind it, no house on either side of it, within easy walking distance of the public school where our kids would be going, and across the street was a cornfield. It was like my dream. So I drove back to the headquarters, got Annette in the car, we drove there, parked across the street, put the window down, and I said, what do you think? And she said, oh, sweetheart, I would never want to live there. I said, why not? And this is what she said. There's no one to evangelize. I was stunned. Mission director, forgetting the mission for which Jesus has left us here in this world. So what did we do? 
we moved into a development of starter homes. Young couples with little kids, 120 units, all built by the same guy, had to look twice before you went in, make sure it was yours. <laughs> kids in plastic big wheels coming up and down the sidewalks day and night. And right after we moved in, Sarah and Bill moved in across the street. Bill was a salesman with Fujifilm. So the minute they moved in, my wife left our front door, crossed the street, went over and knocked on their front door. Sarah came to the door. And my wife said, Sarah, we just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. We live right across the street. Is there anything we can do to help you get settled? And uh, by the way, would you mind if I ask you a question? Sarah said, no. And that said, uh, have you ever studied the Bible? And Sarah said, no. And my wife said, would you like to study the Bible together with me? And Sarah said, I've always wanted to study the Bible, and no one has ever asked me. So Sarah and my wife began to study the Bible every week over in Sarah's kitchen. Six months later, I was in Southern California speaking all week to the students of Biola University. We had a wonderful week together. I love Southern California. I love Biola. I love the students. But the highlight of that week had nothing to do with those things. It was a late night phone call I had from my wife back in Pennsylvania. She said, honey, I'm just calling to give you some great news. This afternoon over in Sarah's kitchen, she bowed her head and she bowed her heart and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Why are we here? Have you lost a proper sense of mission? Let me give you the third word quickly. The disciples lost a proper sense of value, mission. Thirdly, the, light, the disciples lost a proper sense of vision. And we see that in verse 35. Look at the words on the screen. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And the Greek word used here for look is the same word that John uses in his first epistle, 1 John, the first opening verses where he talks about Jesus and he says, that which was from the beginning, listen to this, which we have heard, now listen to this, which we have seen with our eyes, comma, which we have looked at. Well, he, he already said that. He said, we have seen it with our eyes. And then he says, and we have looked at. And the word looked used the second time there after he says we've seen him. And then we've looked at it. The word teaomai is used ten times in John's writings. And what it, it means is to really look. It's not, a, it's not just a glance. It's a gaze. Now, you know and I know that, um, I don't know about Emporia, but Columbia, South Carolina, almost every interstate entrance, there's somebody there asking for money. 
And what have you and I learned to do? Avoid eye contact. Don't look. And I'm afraid we've taught ourselves to do that when it comes to the one out of three in the world that are still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. Just don't look. I mean, when the special comes on about Somalia, change the channel, get a sitcom, laugh for goodness sakes. The disciples lost a proper sense of vision. I was driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike a couple years ago, and, uh, and I was, had my cruise control on. I was going 65, that's, that's the limit. And uh, a car came up on the outside lane, and it was going faster than 65, and it went whipping by me, and, and um, I looked, and then I looked again because it was a brand new, shiny, black Cadillac. I mean, the latest, and it was gorgeous. And it was uh, the chrome and then the black, and it was just like, oh, man, that is such an awesome car. And then I saw the bumper sticker on the back bumper, and it said this, the Quran has the answer. The Quran has the answer. Uh, this is a Baptist church, so I'll talk about another Baptist church in Columbia, South Carolina. Pastor got up to give his morning message, large congregation. Just as he got up to speak, a Muslim man that you could tell by the way he was dressed, he had actually covering on his head, dark glasses, swarthy beard, walked in the back, sat in the back, took copious notes, and then when the meeting was over, when the service was over, after the benediction, he made his way right down the aisle and he confronted the pastor with what he had preached on and showed him all the things that he disagreed with. And a couple of the elders saw it happening and so they kind of, you know, banded together and they kind of came over and sort of formed a little semicircle around the pastor to make sure nothing bad was going to happen, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and it was an unsettling experience for them. And so the pastor called our school, Columbia International University, and he said, uh, hey, um, if I get together some of my fellow pastors, uh, at CIU, by the way, we have a Muslim study program, a, a program that grants degrees for missionaries that are going out to work with Muslim people. And, um, and so they knew we had that, and they said, could you send one of your professors and talk to about 50 of our Baptist pastors in South Carolina and tell us a little bit more about Islam and, you know, all that? And so, yeah, we were happy to do it. So we sent two of our profs, and there were 50 pastors, and they were sitting sort of in a section like this, and our, our guys had an hour, so they did 45 minutes of presentation and then 15 minutes of Q&A. And the minute they opened it up for Q&A, a pastor about three-quarters of the way back stood up and said, I think I speak for my fellow pastors here today when I ask this question. What we really want to know is, how can we get them to leave? And if we can't get them to leave, what can we do to protect ourselves? I don't care if it's Emporia, 
or Atlanta or Los Angeles, listen carefully. The Muslims are here and they're not going away. Did you hear me? And we can look, we can have a vision that says, how can we stem the tide? Or we can have a vision that says, how can we ride the wave? I understand that 23% of Emporia is Hispanic. They've come here from Mexico, other Latino countries. Is that something you just kind of ignore? Or is it something that you do what Jesus said? Look, all right, next word. They lost a proper sense of value, mission, vision. They lost a proper sense of time, T-I-M-E. Write it down. Look at verse 36. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. What does this verse tell me? This verse tells me that the disciples had lost a proper sense of time, T-I-M-E. Jesus was saying to them, guys, it's time for us to reach this woman and her city. And they were saying back to Jesus, no, it's lunchtime. Now hold on to that and I'm going to give you the fifth word. Next word after time is the word place. P-L-A-C-E. Write it down. And we see that back in the beginning of John 4, verses 3 and 4. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. You notice on the screen that I've highlighted three geographic references. He left Judea, went back to Galilee, had to go through Samaria. Now everybody look up here. I'm just about done, but I want to draw you a map of the Holy Land. Can you kind of get it in your mind? All right, so you have the shoreline here and the big body of water called the Mediterranean Sea. Everybody with me? Shoreline, all right? Then over here, over in the right, there's a smaller body of water and it's called the Sea of Galilee. Everybody remember that? Okay, the Sea of Galilee. And then there's this ribbon that comes down from the Sea of Galilee and that's the Jordan River, you remember? And then it opens up into a much bigger body of water down here, and that's the Dead Sea, all right? So Mediterranean Sea, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, and in the middle is the land, right? And the land is divided into three parts. Up top, you have Galilee. Down below, you have Judea, and in the middle, you have Samaria. Everybody with me? All right, so where is Jesus? He is in Judea. Where's that? Down here. Where's he going? He's going to Galilee. Where's that? Up there. Now, if you're going to go from Judea to Galilee, what do you have to go through? Samaria, right? Wrong. No good Jew ever went through Samaria. We read it right in the text. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So if you were a good Jew in the time of Jesus and you had to go from Judea to Galilee, you would hop across the Jordan River into the region of Perea. You would go north until you were far enough to be above Samaria. Then you'd hop back across into Galilee. That's the way all good Jews did it. Can you imagine how scandalized the disciples of Jesus were when he said, guys, we're going to go through Samaria. And they're saying, no, no, this is not the right place. 
This is the part of town you don't drive through. This is the part of town that if you do drive through, you put your car windows up and you lock your doors. The disciples lost a proper sense of place. And they lost a proper sense of time. They were saying to the Lord, watch, Lord, it's great what you're doing, but this is not the place and this is not the time. Now listen carefully. I'm just about done, but listen carefully. The devil... And I believe in the existence of a personal devil who is willing that all should perish and that none should come to repentance. Just the opposite of our loving God. The devil will never try to convince you as a faithful member of 12th Avenue Baptist Church, as a Bible-instructed member of 12th Avenue Baptist Church, the devil will never try to convince you that it's wrong to share your faith with other people. You know better than that. What he will tell you any given day is this. Don't do it here. And don't do it now. This is a Walmart, for goodness sake. This is a Dunkin' Donuts, for goodness sake. This is a middle school soccer game, for goodness sake. This is a doctor's office waiting room, for goodness sake. Not here. Not now. Now, we have hundreds of students at Columbia International University who are studying God's word to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have graduates in 150 countries around the world. And many of those students came to me when I was the president and would ask me advice for how they could best prepare to take the message of the gospel to the mission fields of the world. And you know what I always tell them? I'd say this. If you're not a missionary here, you're not going to be a missionary there. And if you're not a missionary now, you're not going to be a missionary then. Listen carefully. Nothing magic happens on the plane trip over. You're going to be the same guy or gal you were when you got on the plane, when you get off the plane. So, friends, here tonight, have you lost a proper sense of place, proper sense of time? Let's just review real quick, and then we'll get our last word. We've seen that the disciples lost a proper sense of value. What's really important? A proper sense of mission. Why are we here? A proper sense of vision. What are we focusing on? A proper sense of time. Now. A proper sense of place. Here. And the last word, write it down, is the word salvation. You say, where do you get that, preacher? All right, look at verse 29 in John chapter 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, or is not this the Christ? What this verse tells me is that the disciples lost a proper sense of salvation. Let's put the word up there again. You say, what are you talking about, George? Okay, here's what I'm talking about. Watch. This woman, who knew very little about Jesus compared to the disciples, went into her town, shared her testimony with the people, 
and everybody came out to see this Jesus. Now watch. Before she did that, the 12 disciples had been in the same town. Bought food. Talked to the merchants. And evidently not one of them mentioned anything about the fact that the Savior of the world was sitting on their doorstep. In fact, I've asked myself, what is it that they were talking about with the merchants? Maybe they talked about what a great man and leader Colin Powell was. Maybe they talked about vaccines and testing and mask mandates. Maybe they talked about COVID stimulus package. Maybe they talked about climate change, inflation, cancel culture, Matt Damon in The Last Duel, The Adams Family too. 007's No Time to Die, whether Tom Brady still has what it takes, the fact that all Emporia phone owners who have a 620 or 785 area code as of tomorrow will have to start dialing 10 digits to make a local call. Did you know that? Maybe they talked about whether we'll know after tonight who will be playing against the Houston Astros in the World Series. I don't know what they talked about, but I do know what they didn't talk about. So what do you talk about with your neighbors, with the people you work with, with the people you go to school with? Are you following me? Have you lost a proper sense of your salvation? Are you like this woman, just so overwhelmed with the grace of God in your life that you can't wait to tell people? I've had some people tell me, oh, I'm so, I'm so miserable because I'm the only believer at my workplace. What? That's awesome! Now, time's up, so I can't tell you this story, but I'm just going to put her name on the screen. Lisa. I'm a walker. I walked about three, four miles every day. Did it today. And uh, keeps my cardio going. And um, just before COVID hit, I was out walking in our neighborhood. And I met Lisa. She was pushing a wheelchair. I'd never seen her before. And in the wheelchair was a young adult, young man who was severely special needs. He'd never talked. He was 17, never walked. And Lisa was pushing her son lovingly in this wheelchair. So we got talking. And I found out that she grew up in Italy. And I told her we lived in Italy. And then we started talking Italian with each other. And I found out that she was from the same province where we went to plant a church. She was a devout Roman Catholic. I don't have time to tell you the story except to say that um, I asked her if she'd like to walk or if I could walk with them. We walked for an hour. She asked why we were in Italy. I told her. She said, well, isn't everybody a Christian there? Isn't everybody a Catholic? And I said, yes, but you know, Lisa, and I know that only 30% of the people of Italy have ever gone to church, and to go to church, to qualify for that statistic, you have to go once a year. She said, yeah, that's right. And she said, you know what? She said, when I go to confession, I, I never am sure I've confessed everything, and, and then I'm never sure I'm really fully forgiven. And I said to her, well, I can tell you how you can know. Oh, really? 
And so I shared the gospel with her. And this is, I mean, in today's secular world, this is just amazing. But she was wide open. And she was getting it. And so just before we got back to the spot where we met, now here, here I'm a strange man talking to a woman I've never seen before. Jesus and the woman at the well. And uh, I said, Lisa, let's just suppose I had a, a beautifully gift-wrapped box in my hands and I had just gone out to a department store and, and bought you a really nice expensive present and wrapped it and I had this in my hands and I told you this is for you. What would you have to do to make this gift yours? And she just said, well, I'd have to reach out and take it. I said, that's exactly what you need to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary's cross. And she just stood there like this. So I said, would you like to do that right now? She said, yes. And so she reached out her hands. I reached out my hands. And I prayed for Lisa and asked her to pray after me. A simple prayer of repentance and faith and confession of her sin and thanking Jesus that he had her in mind when he died on Calvary's cross. And she prayed every word with passion. And then after we finished praying, I went over and laid my hands on Michael's shoulders and I prayed for him. And Lisa was gloriously saved. In my neighborhood, just like can happen in your neighborhood. I'm now walking with two challenging men in my neighborhood. One is a uh, very religious uh, deist, and the other is a very outspoken atheist slash agnostic. And we've been walking now for a year and a half every morning together. And I've had many opportunities to share the gospel with these men, and I'm praying that they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Say, why are you telling us all this? Because I'm asking you tonight, and, and you might be thinking, oh, I was hoping he was going to talk about, you know, people in faraway places, and now he's talking about my neighborhood. I'm not sure I like this message. Ha have you lost a proper sense of value, what's really important to you? Have, when I was the director of team, we had 360 qualified missionary candidates that we accepted to go overseas, and one-third of them never made it. All of them had their theological education. All of them were healthy. All of them were young, vibrant, ready to go. One-third of them never made it because they couldn't get the financial support they needed to go to the mission field. Is that because the American church doesn't have it? Are you kidding me? Our pastor... At our church, we had an educational building that we were building, and it was going to be quite costly to build it. And he got up one Sunday morning, and he said, Folks, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we have all the money we need for the new building. Everybody clapped. And he said, The bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> have you lost a proper sense of value? Have you lost a proper sense of mission, vision? Time, now, place, here, the wonder of your salvation. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for this wonderful passage in your word that so clearly shows us what we are like so often. Lord, help us not to hypocritically give our money for missions around the world while at the same time neglecting those that live on our doorstep. It's not either or, it's both and. We want to be like you, Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.